Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all of the bizarre stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So pretty and weird. So this week, Jeremy is actually going to give the presidential quiz question. Yeah, so this is a uh, listener submission, which we appreciate. Who is the only American president that did not speak English in his childhood home? So the answer will be at the end of the episode. Yeah. And so. Jordan Jordan and I already know because yeah. we, we discussed this and we thought it was pretty cool. So. Yeah, so it's just, you know, you guys that don't know. <laughs> or so, maybe you do. Or maybe you do. So stay tuned. All right. So this week's episode is on baseball. So, and we kind of... Yeah, didn't I, we have a big... Didn't we do baseball? We had a baseball one already, didn't we? No, we've done football. Ah, football. Yeah. So, I was going to say, I'm not really a baseball fan. I'm much more uh, of a football fan. Yeah. You like baseball, yeah, though. I do. Yeah. Yeah. You're a big cards fan with yeah. your dad. Yeah. Been to, again, St. Louis. Yeah. Spent a lot of time in Missouri, so it's... uh. Wonderful place. <laughs> Go Cardinals. Spring so, training's going on right now. You is know. it? Yeah. Already? Yeah, spring training. Yeah, already. That's like a winter, you know, opening days. I think the actually opening day this year is actually in March. I guess I was just thinking it's still February, so yeah, I definitely but spr- don't count February as spring. Well, no, but spring training is more... Winter spring training. Oh, so it's more winter training for yeah. spring? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to look at okay. it. Okay. See, I don't know anything about baseball. Mm-hmm. Though I did, we did go watch that spring training game last year. Yeah. When we were in Arizona. Right. The Giants? That, that was in, was that in March? Yeah. I it think was spring so. Break. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was actually, it was actually the last weekend of spring training Before opening day. Yeah, it was the last spring training game. Weekend. Weekend. Yeah, we didn't see the last game. Yeah. We were on like a Thursday or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this year, opening day 2020, March 26th, so. Cool. To get into the episode, baseball in America can be traced back to the 18th century when colonists brought over the games Rounders and Cricket from England. (laughs) When the American Revolution broke out, variations of these games were being played at schools across the country and became even more popular during the mid-19th century when cities began to industrialize. In 1845, a group of men founded the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club. (laughs) One member named Alexander Joy Cartwright created a set of rules for the game of baseball that included a diamond-shaped infield, Foul lines, nine-person teams for nine innings, the addition of a shortstop, and the three-strike rule. So basically, Cartwright created the rules of modern-day baseball. Hmm. Cartwright also banned the practice of tagging runners by throwing balls at them, (laughs) which I'm sure everybody appreciates. Yeah. Uh, Except for the fans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It took, like, the last... Well, it took some of the last little bit of, like violence 
I'm sure just like one too many people got hit got hit in the face. It, it, yeah, yeah. Aimed for, aimed for the head. Yeah, because I couldn't be like, well, it wasn't aiming for his head. He like ducked into right. it. Right. Yeah. 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 So when Cartwright quit his job as a as a bank clerk to become a gold prospector in California, he brought baseball with him. He taught his fellow prospectors the rules of baseball and eventually organized a baseball club in San Francisco. On February 22, 1860, Cartwright's team played their first game against a rival team. During the Civil War, baseball continued to expand nationally, and the National Association of Baseball Players was formed. Which, I don't know, is kind of weird to me, thinking that some people are fighting in the Civil War while others are playing baseball. Right. Or soldiers would just be playing, Civil War soldiers would be playing baseball and they're like free time you know i don't know confederate uniforms yeah it doesn't seem it doesn't (laughs) seem like it would it matches up for me yeah yeah the timing yeah it doesn't seem right yeah but i guess that's it was (laughs) by the end of 1865 there were almost 100 clubs in the nabbp wow and by 1867 so just two years later there were over 400 In 1870, the Chicago White Stockings, known today as the Chicago Cubs, won the championship game. Boo. (laughs) And that was the last time that they won until... No, just kidding. No, it's not. That was not the curse. They did have a long drought, but that wasn't it. It didn't start then. So by the turn of the century, even small towns across the United States had semi-professional teams. And by 1911, there were more than 60,000 clubs in America that included around 750,000 men and boys over the age of 12, all playing baseball. And it seemed that if you didn't play baseball, you at least watched baseball. Mm -hmm. Like almost every single person in America either played or watched or both. And ate apple pie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rollins, Wyoming is about 50 miles north of the Colorado border, and in the late 1800s and early 1900s, It was a railroad town that was quick to impart tough justice to anyone who broke laws around the area. Like, they would not only hang criminals, but they would skin them as well. Like, they're Wild West town, but they're like, and there's a lot of- The wildest of Wild West. Yeah, there's a lot of crime going on, and they're basically trying to- Curtail it. Curtail that by being, like, extra- Overly- Heinous to- Yeah. yeah. Criminals. Yeah. Mm, I get it. So when Wyoming got its first state prison in 1901, Rollins was the perfect place for it. When it first opened, the prison didn't have running water or electricity and had the reputation as the toughest prison in the West. Butch Cassidy and Frank James, the brother of Jesse James, both spent time at the prison, among other famous outlaws. In April 1911, the Bighorn County Sheriff, Felix Alston, was made the first state-appointed warden of the prison. Alston had big ideas for the prison and quickly got to work putting his new programs into motion that included a road-building program that would get the prisoners outside during the day, building roads. So are we going to be talking, is this some, like, longest yard type stuff that we're going to be talking about? Probably. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm so excited. I, like, honestly, I I was writing this, and I was like, they basically took this story and made it football instead of baseball, and right. that was the longest yard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, anyways, sorry. So, yeah, no, you're fine. 
The first, yeah, I mean, I talk about baseball, but I talked about prison. You would probably hope that I bring baseball back into the story. So the first program that Alston wanted implemented into the prison was a physical... Either that or you're just really bad at storytelling. That could be true. (laughs) Both. I've been been wearing off on you. Sorry, I will quit derailing this (laughs) episode. So Alston wanted to put into place a physical fitness program into the prison. Uh Uh-huh. And basically, Alston was, like, ahead of his time in, you know... Progressive. He was very progressive when it came to prison reform. Yeah. So, he wants to put in a physical fitness program for the prisoners. You know, everybody feels better when they're getting endorphins. Yeah. So... Less likely to want to stab each other and... Yeah, exactly. Hang themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, that is how Alston's Wyoming State Penitentiary baseball team was created. Oh, my gosh. Alston first recruited George Sabin as the team captain. Sabin was a convicted murderer sentenced to 20 years that, that had what? Nick. No, George. Not Nick Sabin. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty old, though, isn't he? <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> okay. George Sabin... Was a convicted murderer that was sentenced to 20 years because he had ambushed three sheep herders and killed them in their sleep for encroaching on his cattle's grazing land. Mm. Basically, it's open range in Wyoming, like it's here in Idaho, which means whatever doesn't have a fence, you can, yeah, your animals can graze on it. So a lot of the... animals And animals actually have quite a bit of rights. Right, yeah. In those areas and pretty well protected. Right. so. So even though this was the law in Wyoming... Cattle ranchers, you know, felt like they owned the land. And when these sheep herders came in... Mig- and ha- Migrant. Yeah. Typically migrant. Right. And had their sheep, you know, grazing on it. The cattle ranchers were like, they're stealing all of our grazing land, even mm. though it's open range and nobody owns it. So yeah. that's why he shot them. So not a great reason yeah. at all. So, Saban couldn't play baseball himself since two fingers on his right hand had been amputated at the second joint and two fingers on his right hand had been amputated at the third joint. But he had the respect of many of the inmates at the prison and was still held in high regards with many prison guards and the people of Rollins, since many in the town felt that his actions against the sheepherders were justified. Saban would even be allowed to leave the prison in civilian clothes to visit local saloons. He just had to take a prison guard with him. Which, isn't that weird? Yeah, like, obviously every prison guard ever is going to volunteer for that job. Yeah. Because they're clearly going to get drunk with him. Like, yeah, but it was like... Because <laughs> it's the wild So west. what it sounds like... So, also, Saban was really good friends with Alston. Yeah. With Warden Alston. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Before he murdered the guys. Yeah. So it's probably more like, so he must have been prosecuted. So Alston was sheriff and actually arrested Sabin and for the murders. And then after Sabin got into prison, was put into prison, Alston became the warden. And then he was just like, you know, they're still buddy buddies. Yeah. And so he just let George come and go from the prison whenever he wanted. He just had to take... I mean, that's not really the point of prison. He's also the first one for... (laughs) So progressive, he invented work release. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But really, it was more like uh, (laughs) happy hour release. Yeah. (laughs) So, let's see. That's how progressive he is. (laughs) Yeah. Austin. Yeah. 
So with his new team captain, George Sabin, Alston and Sabin went to work selecting the rest of the members of the team. Joseph Sang had been recently admitted to the prison for shooting his boss, who was also his lover's husband. So he was sleeping with his boss's wife. And then when his boss confronted him and found out about it and confronted him about it, um, Sang shot him. Which Sang insisted that he just acted in self-defense. Sure. But he was convicted of first-degree murder and was sentenced to death by hanging, which was scheduled for August 22nd, 1911. And this is, like, the time where you got sentenced, like, you were found guilty, you were sentenced to hanging, you got hanged, like, a couple minutes, or a couple months later. You got... <laughs> hanged did? Hanged did. Hung? Yes. Hung? Yes. Executed? Executed. Can we just say executed? We'll, we'll say executed. hung just sounds Yeah, I don't like saying that word. <laughs> he was hung. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That reminds me of Blazing Saddles. Do you know what part I'm talking about? Huh. It's uh, been a minute since I've seen Blazing Saddles. Okay, so there's the black cowboy, uh-huh. right? Or no, he's the sheriff. Huh. And he goes uh, and he meets up with like a couple other guys that are like campfire. And somebody was like, I heard you were hung. And he was like, well, they was right. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Anyways. <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he was scheduled to be executed on August 22nd, 1911, which is only, like, you know, a few months after this baseball team is even being put together. Right. When Sang was admitted into the Wyoming State Penitentiary, he was asked a series of questions that included how much schooling he had, religion, and if he had any special skills, to which he replied he was pretty good at playing baseball. Warden Alston basically looked at his form, was like, (laughs) was like, hey, this guy says he's good at baseball. He's on the team. And he was made the team catcher. The other prisoners that made up the Wyoming State Penitentiary All-Stars, also known as the Death Row All-Stars, were shortstop Joseph Gazzardo, who had killed a woman while trying to shoot a man that was threatening his life. First baseman Eugene Rowan, who had been convicted of breaking and entry and attempted rape. Right fielder James Powell, who had attacked a woman, along with others until they had a 12-man roster that included a total of three rapists, a forger, five thieves, and three murderers. Hmm. Alston had a regular had a regulation-sized field created in the exercise yard that was surrounded by a stone wall, and prison guards could watch the team practice from a glass-enclosed tower. Word started to get around Rollins that the Death Row All-Stars were actually a pretty good team. When George Sabin left the prison to hang out at the local bars, he would brag about how well his team would be able to compete against the other baseball clubs in the region. Placing bets on baseball games was extremely common in the early 1900s, and George was hoping to make big money betting on his team. So he'd, like, talk them up to try to get people to bet, you know, bet on his team. Yeah. Yeah. So Sabin teamed up with a drifter named George Strepless that had been arrested in March 1911 for illegal gambling. So he teamed up with him to place bets on the Death Row All-Stars. So Sabin was getting his money from Warden Alston and then would place bets on the All-Stars using this drifter guy. Sabin's goal was to make 20% off all wagers made on the All-Stars. Sabin would tell oddsmakers for the bets that Warden Alston agreed to de- to decrease prison sentences and even give permanent stays of execu- 
of execution to the players if they won all of their games. So a loss would be very costly to the All-Stars, especially for players like Sang that were scheduled to be executed. Yeah. Ward and Alston supplied the team with gloves, bats, and uniforms. On July 18, 1911, the Death Row All-Stars came out on their practice field for their first game against the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors, which was one of the best teams in the area. During the game, inmates still in the prison tried to watch through the barred windows of their cells and cheered on the players. Joseph Sang hit two home runs that game, including a grand slam, and the Death Row All-Stars ended up winning 11-1. to Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. The Washington Post actually wrote an article about the game. Not really? And the headline was, Slayer Scores Home Runs. <laughs> the yeah, win- I feel like there's so many good headlines you can get out of that oh, yeah. baseball team. Could you imagine? That'd be like trying to trying to go to a prison and being like, let's make a football team, and then we're going to go compete for the the world title in the, yeah. in the Super Bowl, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so the way that the All-Stars handled themselves during the game also generated a lot of talk from baseball fans and newspapers. The Carbon County Journal said of the game, The prisoners were all out in the yard and yelled and rooted for their team as if they were watching one of the big leagues play. They made a big barrel full of lemonade and passed it, among, passed it around among the players and spectators alike and put blankets over a clothes rack to make a cool, shitty place for the juniors. In fact, they did everything to make the visit a most pleasant one, and there was no one who realized at the end of the game that they were locked in playing ball in the stockade of the penitentiary. Some of the ladies were watching the game from one of the guardhouses when one got hit under the eye with a foul ball the only accident of the game, and many were the expressions of sorrow on the part of the prisoners that this happened. The juniors and visitors wished to thank Warden Alston for the many kindnesses shown at the game, and also the prisoners for the delicious lemonade. (laughs) That was probably some prison... Just imagine that was some prison hooch. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, that's not lemonade. It's fermented lemonade. It's toilet lemonade. Not toilet lemonade necessarily, but it was definitely fermented. Yeah. I just, you know, they're like, oh, the prisoners were great. And I'm just, you know, the warden was probably like, you better not yeah. do uh, anything to mess this up. Yeah. But they probably knew too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The death roll. Because it seems like, I don't know, it seems just like crimes back in the day, you know? Like it was only a crime if you got caught. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess that's true today, but like socially, crime was more acceptable. Like you said, like people sympathized with. Oh yeah. With, uh, uh, I want to say McNabb, but that's not with right. Saban. Saban. <laughs> Vic. What was his name? George. OJ. What? Yeah. I feel. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's still very much the Wild West in Wyoming at this yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like people are just like like cry like crime is okay. So like. Yeah. Anyways. So the Death Row All-Stars were scheduled to play the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors again on August 4th, 1911, so they got right back to practicing. During one practice, Saban decided he was going to hit a few balls to the players before the end of practice. Saban hit a hard grounder that went between second and third base. Gazzardo tried to scoop it up, but he fumbled the catch. Saban hit another grounder toward Gazzardo, and Gazzardo fumbled it a second time. Gazzardo was frustrated and began to march off the field, but Saban cut him off and began to chew him out. 
and a letter that Sang wrote, he recounted that Sabin stomped over to Gazzardo and let him have it. No one could hear what was being said, but something was being said. Gazzardo kept his head down. After a few minutes of serious talk, George motioned for, Tam- for Thomas Cameron, who was the pitcher, to meet him where he stood. Sabin went on to reprimand all the players that mistakes on the field would not be tolerated. Prisoners who make errors that cost the team a game would have more time added to their sentence. Winning would lead to a reduced time and stays of execution. Those I already said this. Well, George was already telling people, but now he's telling the players. Like, uh, the players had never heard this before. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So before, it was just a ploy to get people to bet on. Yes, before, but now, like, he's, he's telling the players that, yeah. hey... If you win... Has he had a legitimate conversation with Austin about this? The book that I was reading said that by this time, the warden had given the go-ahead for George to tell the players this. Yeah. Yeah. So, those were Warden Alston's terms, and they were non-negotiable. While not in practice, Singh would often hang out with the guards, being friendly and trying to make small talk with them. This made a few of the other prisoners hate Singh, feeling like he was being, like, kind of a... Teacher's pet, or, yeah. yeah, almost. In early August, one inmate was fed up with saying and decided to kill him. This inmate wore a 10-pound ball and chain that was attached to his leg. He picked up his ball and chain in his arms and walked up a flight of stairs. Once he made it to the second landing, he set his iron ball down on the floor and picked up a 10-inch by 2-foot box that was half-filled with sand. It was apparently just being used as, like, a trash can and was weighed down by sand. Hmm. to like not move i'm mm-hmm. not really sure why there was just a box of sand hanging out <laughs> at the top but of the stairs in a prison the cigarette breaths, yeah, cigarette may- maybe yeah. so so the prisoner picked up the box raised it above his head and dropped it right above sang's head which was about 25 feet below luckily sang had just turned to speak with a guard and the box landed right next to him instead of on top of his head when word about this murder attempt made its way into Rollins, gamblers were afraid that the star player was in danger <laughs> and were afraid to bet. Never mind that the guy was scheduled to be executed at the end of the month anyways. Yeah. Sabin assured them that Sang was okay, so yeah. they continued to bet on the players. Hmm. On August 4th, the Death Row All-Stars played their second game against the Juniors. The Laramie Daily Boomerang wrote, which, <laughs> great name for a newspaper, a game of baseball was played at the penitentiary stockade between the prisoners' team and the Wyoming Supply Company juniors, in which the prisoners were victorious, winning by a score of 11-1. to 1. Again? So, yep, again. Dang, just crushing it. Sang, who was convicted at Evanston of murder in the first degree, was one of the star players of the convict team, getting four hits out of four times at bat, and played an errorless game. Sang was sentenced to be hanged on August 22nd, but will petition the governor to commute his sentence to life imprisonment. With so much publicity in the papers, the public began to clamor for a chance to watch the Death Row All-Stars play in person instead of just read about them. Because so far, their two games have been at the penitentiary. Right, with very limited visitors. Right. So all of these people are betting on them, but they haven't been able to watch them play. They're just taking Saban's word for it, and then reading about the games in the paper the next day. Yeah. So on August 5th, 1911, the Carbon County Journal Journal announced that Warden Alston of the penitentiary has informed us that to comply with a general demand to see his fast team of convict ballplayers play, 
He has a plan in mind wherein he can take the team down to the fairgrounds for a game with the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors team. On August 13, 1911, the All-Stars played the Juniors again at the penitentiary, and they beat them again. On August 20th, Anna Sang, Joseph's mother, wrote to Wyoming, to Wyoming Governor Carey, hoping that he would spare her son's life. The governor wrote back to Anna. Dear Madame, I have your letter of the ninth instant. Before I received your letter, I had acquainted myself. <laughs> He's from Wyoming, <laughs> yeah. not the deep south. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dear Madam, I have your letter of the ninth instant. Before I received your letter, I had acquainted myself somewhat with the facts in the trial and conviction of Joseph Sang. You are his mother, and I have no doubt you are greatly distressed. <laughs> he murdered his victim. Wow, I shouldn't be laughing. No, this is really serious. <laughs> you are his mother, and I have no doubt you are greatly distressed. He murdered his victim and gave him no chance whatever for his life. I will look into the matter further, but, to be entirely honest with you, at this time I do not see any excuse whatever for execution clemency in his case. Signed, Governor. Fantastic. <laughs> so, Sang continued to hope for clemency, but with the governor's letter back to his mother, it was looking like the only thing that might keep him alive would be to continue winning baseball games. Like the movie The Longest Yard. Actually, <laughs> so I don't think that happened The Longest Yard. No. But it's still a lot like the movie. Or the yeah. movie's still a lot like this. Yeah. Anyways. The next game was scheduled for August 27th. And his execution date was August 22nd. August 22nd came and went without saying hearing anything, hearing anything about getting executed. So he just poured himself into practicing for the August 27th game. It's like... Yeah, the day just came and went, and nobody said anything. And so he's yeah. like, all right, I'm not going to... You guys aren't going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those deals where just everybody keep their mouth shut. It's not going to be like, hey, was I was I supposed to get executed today? Did you guys forget? <laughs> yeah. So this game... So this next game was going to be held in Overland Park and would be open to the citizens of Rollins. Overland Park was packed for the game, with spectators coming in from Rollins and the surrounding towns to watch the prisoners play. The All-Stars beat the Juniors again, but this time it was much closer with a score of 15 to 10. Assume, oh. Yeah. The Juniors finally stepped up their offense. And like, maybe it's because they weren't playing in a prison. Yeah. Maybe that was getting into their heads. A little, little nerve-wracking for them. I mean, they still lost, but yeah. yeah, they played a lot better this time. As soon as the Either game... Either that or the defense was slacking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways... As soon as the game was over, the inmates surrendered their gloves, bats, balls, and uniforms and were escorted back to the prison. There were no more scheduled games, so the players didn't know if they were going to be able to continue to play or if that was their last game. There was talk of scrapping the baseball team altogether and having them take classes instead since many inmates never got to attend school. Sang knew, though, that if he wasn't playing baseball, he wasn't going to be alive much longer. Yeah. In September, Governor Carey initiated a statewide crackdown on gambling and wrote to Warden Alston that he had been hearing rumors about illegal bets being placed on his prison baseball team. Sabin tried to assure the local gamblers that this crackdown would only be temporary and then they could get back to betting on the baseball team. But shortly after, Warden Alston announced that the death row All-Stars were no longer and the baseball yeah. team was done. 
Without baseball, Sang became a prison nurse. And that's what he decided to pour his life into. Yeah. When the cold Wyoming winter weather moved in, the prison infirmary became overfilled with sick inmates. Sang would help the prison doctor by wiping sweat off of prisoners' heads, giving them drinks of water, taking vitals, and feeding them ice chips. At first, they thought that it was just the flu coming in and getting everybody sick, mm-hmm. but Sang actually helped the doctor realize that some there had been a poisoning among the inmates. Oh, really? So Sang actually helped the doctor figure out... Diagnose oh, Diagnose it and actually help cure these people, or help cure all these prisoners. Hmm. From their poisoning. What kind of poisoning? I don't remember. Like purposeful or? Yes, purposeful. Like, it was like another inmate, another group of inmates that decided to poison uh, all the others. You know, just yeah, some evil people. Gang, like gang, click. Yeah. Prison stuff. Yeah. So Sang helped save a whole lot of these people's lives mm-hmm. and found a renewed life purpose helping the sick inmates and continued to hope his stay of execution, of execution would continue. So he still hasn't heard anything about getting executed. Yeah. On April 18th, 1912, the Wyoming Tribune announced that gallows were being shipped from the Laramie County Jail to Rollins that would be used to hang Joseph Sang. Oh, no. This is the first he heard about his execution again. Yeah. The people of Rollins were upset that this star baseball player was going to be hanged, and a petition began to circulate that begged Governor Carey to grant clemency to Sang. The Rollins Republican reported that practically every citizen in the city had signed it, but Governor Carey still refused to give saying clemency. On May 23, 1912, the final preparations were made for Sang's execution. He was scheduled to be hanged at 2.45 a.m. the following morning. Warden Alston ordered all inmates to be locked in their cells at noon on May 23rd to quell any uprising that could happen. The Wyoming Tribune reported that Sang seemed composed. He played cards and drank coffee. The guards watching him said he behaved as if his approaching death was the merest incident. Sang spent the last hours of his life staring at a picture of his mother and writing letters to her and his siblings. At 2.30 a.m. on May 24th, Sang was escorted out of his cell by Warden Alston and Reverend Long and they walked with him to the gallows. He was led up the stairs to the gallows to a platform and stood on a trap door, while a noose was placed around his neck and a black cap over his head. Joseph Sang was pronounced dead at 2.54 a.m., and his body was shipped back to his parents in Pennsylvania. Hmm. Not until 1920 did baseball return to the Wyoming State Penitentiary, and several more years passed before the prison team was allowed to play outside opponents. In 1981, the old penitentiary closed its doors forever. Yeah. So, I do believe, even though a lot of, like, the warden, like, denied it, but I do believe Sang was kept alive longer because of the baseball. Yeah. What, almost a year? Uh, Or, no, 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 I guess it was six months. It was about eight, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But that's the story of the Wyoming State Penitentiary Death Row All-Stars. Death Row All-Stars. Yeah. It's a good one. My sources were Death Row All-Stars, A Story of Baseball, Corruption, and Murder by Chris Enns and Howard Kazanjian. The Death Row Inmates Forced to Play Baseball for Their Lives by Larry Getlin. Death or Glory by Rupert Cornwell. And Who Invented Baseball, which is a History.com <laughs> article. So do you want to tell everybody 
what the answer to this week's quiz is? Yes. <laughs> the answer. Do you want to reiterate what it, what the question was first? In case they forgot. The question, who is the only American president who didn't speak English in his childhood home? If you guessed the American statesman who served as the 8th president of the United States Boy. from 1837 to 1841. <laughs> Martin Van Buren. You guessed it. He was the 8th president who is known as Little Magician and spoke Dutch yep. in his family childhood home. So, Did you know that he was actually the first president who was born a U.S. citizen, too? I did not know that. Yeah. But good old Martin Van Buren. Martin Van Buren. The guy with the crazy... Crazy hair. Like, he had the... He has the big old, like, sideburn. Yeah. Yeah. Chops. Mutton chops, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you enjoy this podcast, please let your friends know and subscribe, rate, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. That's how people find us and we get more listeners and we want to spread all of the weirdness and bizarre stories with as many people as we can. So if you guys could help us out, that would be awesome. Yeah. And we appreciate everything you've done so far. Absolutely. All of you guys are awesome. And, of course, we appreciate all of our America listeners. But I also want to give a shout-out to all of our international ones, especially uh, UK and Australia. Norway? We have have some listeners from Norway. But we actually have pretty good, you know, uh, listener, like, base from the UK and Australia. So shout-out to you guys. are we Surprised. worldwide? We're worldwide, baby. <laughs> Are you going to call yourself Mr. Worldwide now? No. I'm okay. not. I'm not. I think that title's already been claimed, but <laughs> I'm just saying. If you want to know more about our sources or want to look at our notes, go to americathebizarre.com. We also sell merchandise there, so you can get shirts, stickers, coffee cups. Uh, officiate for your wedding. Uh, yes, you can also pay for Jeremy to officiate your wedding. Mm. He will also DJ, but also know that he will probably only play Nickelback, Pitbull, and Kesha. <laughs> I'll throw in some country. I was going to say, if you want me to DJ while he officiates, you'll probably only listen to 90s country for your entire wedding. <laughs> but my 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 uh, services are free. <laughs> but that's all you'll get to listen to. You have anything else before we close out this week's episode? I think that's it. All right. Well, until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.